Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. This is Egberto Willis, your host. Um, we're kind of late because we're having some technical problems, and as I sit here with you, I am still seeing some drop packets that I don't understand and some CPU overuse that I don't understand, something that I'm going to have to take into account. Uh, please, uh, folks, go ahead and let me know what kind of performance you are seeing with respect to... Um, with respect to the videos, I am going to actually what I need to do here is go ahead and change my um, change to another network here to so that I can actually bring up some browsers on the other side. I'm interested to find out if we are coming over with chops or without chops. How are we doing, etc., etc., etc. So anyhow, we have a great show for you today. I am going to go ahead and get our interview started with uh, with Arturo Dominguez so that I can take care of a few things here, uh, housekeeping, to try to clean this stuff up. Anyway, let's go ahead and listen to Arturo Dominguez. Welcome to another edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis. Today, we are honored to have Arturo Dominguez. He's a prolific uh, writer, and he is the founder and editor at The Antagonist magazine, among many others. Recently, Arturo was elevated to a leadership position at WEOC, Woke, Writers and Editors of Color. He is with us today to discuss many subjects, including his recent 1619 Project article. Arturo, I think this is the second or third, or maybe four times you've been here with Politics Done Right. It's a pleasure, as usual, to have you with us. How are you doing today? Oh, man, happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. Well, look, man, I tell you, um, you, you, are, you are the one who actually introduced me to woke uh, a group that I found quite interesting, a group that I found uh, relaxing, and I mean, it just brought brought one spirit up. Why don't you, before we get into the subject at hand, tell us how you got in, involved with this particular group? Well, um, with woke, uh, it was founded by you know two black women, uh, Teresa Price and uh, Allison Gaines, um, and it was uh, more of a, a medium centered. Uh, type of project or community. Um, I, I'm one of the first few that were invited in early on. Um, you know, and I was in, at the time I was in search of some kind of community. Uh, I've been a member of, you know, writer groups that were uh, predominantly white. And, and it's hard to, when you're doing anti-racism work and, and touching on things that, uh, you know, others don't normally touch on, they're uncomfortable. So being in a, in a a, a group that was, you know, very Anglo-centric uh, made it difficult. Uh, there's a lot of pushback. I mean, you know, instantly get kicked out for no reason, things like that. So when I came across this and I, and it was very early on, um, you know, one of the editors at Medium, Adrian Gibbs, who, who's, you know, a member of the group, she quickly supported it. And then, you know, Quintessa got involved and, you know, LA Justice got involved with managing our case for the 1619 project and you know before long I found myself in a community that was welcoming to uh someone they consider of color but you know is white passing and um it, it was it was interesting because I found myself in the group that was being run by black women and every one of them embraced me as their own and I I treat my I, I treat everything, especially in black spaces, um, you know, treat it as, as being a guest, you know. Uh, by having that mentality, I feel like 
you're not necessarily walking on eggshells, but you're more cautious about what you say. Um, it, I think that if white people took that same approach and, and were came from a place of more asking questions as opposed to pushing, you know, beliefs or whatever on people, then we could probably move further. So I found that in this community. Um, I found a willingness from a lot of writers that were anti-racism writers that were willing to put the stuff out there to try to make a difference, not just talk about it, but potentially offer solutions to problems. And I, I found that uh, a big selling point for me. Well, I can tell you just based on the adoration that folks have for you in that group, uh, <laughs> you you are not a guest man. You are, you are the group. And in fact, you were one of the first that they asked to, as they did some restructuring, to ask to become a part of the leadership of that group. So congratulations about that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. One of the ways that I really got involved with you is when you uh, addressed the black latino issue in other words some of right. and you took a whole lot of flack from maybe passing latinos as you just um uh, mm -hmm. uh well passing white latinos as you kind of made and and you took a lot of flack for it this is not the subject of today's discussion but why don't you tell us a little bit about that because what i always say about you is you've got some pelotas dude yeah um <laughs> i appreciate that I, I attribute my pelotas to uh, you know, my upbringing, man, in Jersey, uh, you know, in the you know 70s and 80s, it wasn't pretty. It was tough. And uh, so, yeah, I, I took that approach. Um, you know, when it comes to the backlash, you know, I'm I'm a pushback kind of guy. You know, everybody wants to take the approach of just stop, uh, you know, don't interact with anybody, you know, stop, just just let it go. Let it die down. But the problem is the more you ignore it, the, the more the bigger the fire gets. And uh, it, it doesn't die down. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and denounce cancel culture and culture and all that stuff. It's, it, it is what it is, you know, call it what you want. But to me, I, I call it consequence culture. But, you know, you, <laughs> you say you say racist things, you're going to pay for it, you know. Right. So but uh, the backlash I got, I, I still get it. I still get backlash um, yeah, because that article okay. went viral. Right. And, and I mean, if you look at. Uh, uh, at the Latino Rebels page right now, and you open an article, or you scroll to the bottom of the main page, um, mine is still top five trending, and that's been a, um, a year and a couple months now. Right. So uh, people are still reading it. People are still clicking from there to the tweets that are highlighted in the article, which are my tweets, and you know I still catch some heat here and there. I got one guy who he read like the first paragraph and then wrote a rebuttal calling me racist and all this stuff and he's never read my work he admitted he didn't read the article but man every friday like clockwork he's trolling me and i laugh and i and i troll him right back i don't you know i don't play around like you know i don't block people i don't you know people threaten me like it, because of that article i had people trying to dox me and uh and i could i could tell that's what they were doing and i told them look dude dox me don't dox me you want me to give you my address i'll give you my address but it's not like they I can't want... find it i've been docked so many right. times it ain't funny you know right and you know and what i tell people that threaten me i tell them come on you know like come to my house because you know you might think i'm some fragile liberal or whatever but i probably have more guns than you so you know what i mean like <laughs> and that's what i tell people i'm like go ahead dude i dare you i'm waiting for you to come to my door okay so just come 
come. Welcome, yeah, I mean, they, they, these come. guys are generally just mouthpieces. You and I know. So every now and then you have the crazy right. that really goes through with these things. Yeah. And I think yeah, that, yeah. that you just have to be always watchful. And, 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 and whether you're a writer or not, you always have to be watchful. Now, tell me a little bit about uh, at Woke, you, you are a part of the 1619 Project submission of articles. And I, you submitted a recent article with respect to Latinos in 1619. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Okay, well, uh, our, our 1619 Project, uh, just to clarify, is, is not the same as the Nicole Hannah-Jones and the New York Times um, 1619 Project. Our project is focused on making the case for the 1619 project. So one of the main categories that we, we have it broken down into five different categories. I can't name them off the top of my head, but for the sake of this one, um, like my piece was focused on addressing criticisms. And um, most of the stuff that I read went after a lot of the white um, academics who basically teamed up, you know, and wrote a scathing op-ed to the New York Times, you know, claiming all these errors, this, that, and the other, um, you know, not differentiating the fact that the 1619 Project from the New York Times is more of a journalistic piece than it is a historical piece, right? And the idea of the 1619 Project is to frame the narrative of what built the U.S., right? Beginning with that day, that, that 1619, 1619 yeah. poor, poor comfort, right? Like we all know that part that day. And a lot of the arguments from the Latino community came from uh, a lot of Afro Latinos that were, um, they, their, their argument was that history, black history in the United States started prior to 1619. And while that's true to a, to a degree, none of those, you know, the, the Spaniards landing in uh, uh, Saint, in St. Augustine in the 1500s, right? But way before 1619. That didn't affect how the United States was built. It didn't, it, it, it happened. Nobody's denying it happened. But the 1619 Project's focus is from that day in Port Comfort is how today's American capitalist society lives. And we all know that the capitalism in the United States can only thrive on exploited labor. Mm -hmm. And without, without the slave labor force, you have, you know, what I've heard people refer to as wage slaves, which is basically, you know, you've got all these Latinos working the fields, harvesting food, feeding the nation. And they're not only being paid dirt, but they're being treated like dirt. They live in, you know, squalid conditions, things like that. So it, it, the 1619 Project acknowledges those little things. So my my piece was focused on clapping back on those that that were really they really went after Nicole Hannah Jones and the 1619 Project, and I thought it was un, unfair, and I also thought it was in bad faith. I, I thought the arguments were disingenuous um, because they failed to read just the main entry point to the 1619 Project which essentially discusses that it's a living document. You know, it's, it may have some errors and, and, you know, there may be a few things missing here and there, but for the sake of, of, uh, of focusing on the U on, on US history and, and what it's become today, that that's what they're missing. You see, they're not, they're, 
let me ask you something because you 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 you, i think i think you in 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 stating that in in one of the statements that you just made i think you may have uh co-opted to saying there were there were in fact some errors in the 1619 project as written by hannah jones is that really the case or it's just the who tells the history that that really makes these errors errors i you know i honestly think it's a little of both there were um a couple of errors and it was really just you know like for context they needed to add a word here or something like that you know so, and these and, were corrected and at the new york times right right these were corrected and addressed you know for journalistic integrity mm-hmm. that the edits were made that was brought to their attention but when you read if you just focus on the one scathing op-ed that was published at the new york times and and they addressed it directly which i commend them for they even gave those guys space to talk their trash but if you read that i think that that's more focused on i feel like it's more focused on who's telling the history like, exactly exactly and that's what and that, that's what i wanted to get at because right. i think too often you know even the parts of history that one interprets you know it's it, it is subject to interpretation you know um right, the, right. The, the, the pilgrim did the, 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 the americans commit genocide in in america or not yes they they would say well they attacked us and we'll say well you took their land that's it Gen, that's Gen, you know so it's a, a matter right. of who tells a story Anyhow, so I mean, um, now, do you think that the Latinos, the Afro Latinos that came against Anna Jones uh, on, on these articles, were uh, pretty much used, uh, wanted, you know, or, or um, because we always have that problem, right? In a, a you, you you get a a um, Candace Owen uh, or a this new guy that wrote a book about uh, wokeness or whatever it is he wrote about. I can't remember his name right now. Are right. these guys just being used for their hue, for their color, uh, as a as a weapon, as a person that that they can say, "Look, even this guy thinks you're wrong." You know, I know I know a lot of people pointed to that. I don't, I, I can't say that the motivations of some of the the um, Afro Latinos and some, you know, from the academic community and stuff too. Um, I can't say that the motivations were um any anything like that but but i do know that you you saw a lot of people point to these individuals and say look here's you know somebody else that said that disagrees with it too and they're black you know and uh, again you're they're failing to realize the difference between you know being an afro-latino and being black in america you know there's there's a big cultural divide there you know like in my article, I, I mentioned how certain religions from, you know, Central and Western Africa uh, still live and still thrive in, in Latin America, all over mm-hmm. the place, from Cuba to Colombia. Well, in the U.S., aside from, like, areas in Louisiana, they, there's no, that identity is not there. There's no history of that. Santeria right, been, and all these other right. things, you know? It, it's all wiped out. So, um, so the Black community, that's why they're Black and they're not, you know you know congolese or 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 what have you it's because all of that stuff was erased right so you know for for afro-latinos like in cuba there's you know direct connections to parts of western africa and things and they celebrate that and you know people don't realize it but you know cuba's a majority you know black Black. and cuba brazil and several other latin american countries yeah caribbean countries yeah 
right they're predominantly black and and so and they understand where you know they came from they understand that how their religions eventually mixed with catholicism that's how you got santeria and, and i mean you know again santeria was born of you know western african spiritualism and you know blended with a little bit of catholicism because you know that's what the slaves had to do to make it acceptable to the priests they had to inject a piece of catholicism so that you know the priests are like oh you're worshiping jesus you know fine right and, and that that's how those religions were born you don't have that here in the u.s and you know that's why i feel like i don't know uh allison one day mentioned me mentioned me being pro-black and i, I never considered Explain myself who allison is first of all for the audience I, allison allison is one of the founders of writers and editors of color allison Gaines, and we were we were in a chat one day you know, just I don't remember what we were discussing, but she mentioned that, that I was, you know, pro-black Latino writer, and I never saw myself that way. But once she mentioned it, I kind of it kind of opened up like another door where I was looking at my work from that light, and I thought, you know, I guess I am a pro-black well, I mean, Latino writer because I mean, at the end of the day, when I ended my sixteen nineteen project article, and I have it pulled up, but I, I said at the end of the, at the very end, I said. You know, because without black people, the American dream wouldn't exist. In a sense, everyone owes them for that, even right. immigrant, even the immigrants and Afro-Latinos. Even so, the Afro-Latinos, exactly. Right, right, right. So yeah, that, and that's kind of how I feel about it. And, and I get, from that aspect, being that we owe them first and we owe the indigenous people first before anybody else. And if you look at it from that perspective, then you, you can begin to understand, you know, why we need to, uplift them first well you know you call it uh, maybe allison calls it pro-black I, I i find you to be a, a writer an author that actually just goes out there and tells things the way they need to be told because again too often uh, and, and again and you upset folk in every in just about every single group so i mean I, uh... it's like you're an equal opportunity offender you know latinos blacks whites everybody you know and that that yes. is the that is the art uh, that shows an art form from a writer who really means what they're talking about and one should take seriously. Well, last question here as we come close to the end. Um, uh, uh, congratulations again for uh, your ascendance at Woke. And I, don't, I, I won't call you pro-Black, I'll just call you pro-humane. And, uh, and, and, and secondly, I, last question is always, what would you have liked me to ask you? You know, you've been with me before, so you know that question is yeah. coming. Why would you have, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Um, you know, and I, I don't know why I'm never prepared for this. One. <laughs> um, because, you know, I wanted to discuss, you know, uh, you know, the writers and editors of Color Group. Um, we did Let's that. Go, on, go ahead. The article. But yeah, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting, I, I like it because you know, in the writers and editors of color group, we do a lot of things, a lot of projects, um, like we do the Black History 365 project, which, you know, we write about little known uh, black history, you know, throughout the year, it doesn't have to just be, you know, Black History Month. Um, you know, the case for the 1619 project has been pretty exciting, you know, we get, we've gotten the attention of Nicole Hannah Jones, um, you know, she retweeted uh, my article and you know, I have to give her credit because I think it was because of her that it blew up because um, there was a lot of talk in the black community and, and on black Twitter and in black spaces about my article. 
and most of it was positive. Um, you know, and a lot of people were surprised that any Latinos even spoke out against the 1619 project because, you know, it's it, a lot of things in the Latino community stay in the Latino community. It's weird like that. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed uh, the project. I enjoyed the, the, the community um, and growing the community. It's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, if I, if, if I could think of what you didn't ask me about, because we did do the white Latinos thing, but um, I guess maybe about, you know, police accountability, you know, because I do a lot of that. Um, you know, cops hate me too. But, you know, I also have a lot more cop friends than I ever had before. So, <laughs> so a lot of the things I write about apparently resonate with cops. So, you know, there's that. And, and it's all about basically anything racial justice and the intersection of politics and race. That's that's where I live, you know. Well, let me tell you, Arturo, you will be back. There's so much more that you have to talk to us about. Uh, yeah. It was my pleasure having you, Arturo Dominguez, the right. editor and founder of The Antagonist magazine and recently elevated to leadership of the writers, of, writers and editor of color. Thank you so kindly for having been with Politics Then Right. Thank you for having me, Alberto. Arturo Dominguez is a friend, he's an author, he's a hell of a writer, now in leadership at Woke. So we, are, we were very happy to have Arturo with us. Now it's time for you guys, because you are the most important part of the show. And as Arturo spoke, I saw a lot of conversation going on. Of course, I couldn't follow all because I've been trying to make this stuff work. Uh, so, I mean, I know we're not in sync, people, but forgive me, I'll clean it up. Welcome aboard AVQ, Rose Williams, May Wood, Daniel Ledo, Petition Queen, also known as Linda of the Independent Voters of America, Nanette Bird-Smith. Uh, welcome aboard. Continuing, Lee Grant. Hi, all. Uh, who else have we got here? Norman Reynolds. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Uh, continuing with our list, we've got Michael C Mike Cisak is here with us as well. Uh, Ken Masestaki, we have uh, Nanette Bird-Smith, and we have, uh, coming down, I'm still Tom C. Welcome aboard. If I forget your name, just drop me another line, and I will be more than happy to remember to put it out there. So let me start with uh, some of the conversation going on here. No apparent echo anymore. I'm glad that I fixed that particular problem, if not the sink. I'm on YouTube, could not find an FB stream. The FB stream is there now. I promise thee it is. Uh, let's see, how are we today from Maywood? We are just doing fine. Looks like it's... <laughs> I know Lee Grant was going to say something like this. Lee Grant says, Ah, oh, well, uh, looks like it's Let's Talk Race Day. Not really, actually. Believe it or not, this was with between uh, Afro-Latinos and black folk is what Arturo Dominguez was writing about. For those Afro-Latinos that took exception to how the 1619 project worked, and I can understand some of what they were concerned about because of what occurred in Cuba, what occurred in Peru, what occurred in Panama, and all these other places where there were black folk from Africa, just like here in the United States. When you view everything through a racial lens, all you see is race. Lee Grant, I promise you, people of color, do not want to look at things through racial lens. Unfortunately, 
they are generally forced to do so. I am a guy that doesn't believe in race at all. But when I walk into the store, I, I see the eyes, I, see the, I get the following. When I walk into certain churches, I see what occurs. So instead of saying that we need to stop looking at everything through racial lens, I'm going to ask you, Lee, you're a good guy. You're also a good supporter, Brother Lee Grant. But I'm going to ask you to do something honestly, Lee Grant, because you're the one who made the statement. If you look at everything through race, then it, it is pervasive. I'm going to ask you the next time, the next time you are in an area that you are normally very comfortable in a white space and you see somebody different, whether Asian, black or whatever, be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell me. Just be honest with yourself and tell me if you have a slight reaction beforehand. Because what people of color always see when they walk into white spaces is not necessarily racism, but an apprehension to who they are. And when we can honestly accept that to the point that we make, and I'm going to use myself as an example. I don't want to play like I'm some goody two shoe or anything like that because I'm not. And I always use my transformation from being a homophobe into one of the biggest gay rights supporters with a whole lot of gay friends. And let me tell you what I mean by that. There was a time in my life when if I saw two men kissing, holding hands, two women doing this, it actually had a material, even as I held back, it had a physical response on me. And that be because of how the brain works and how I was cultured at home in Panama. I always tell people I have the three strikes, black, Latino, and Caribbean. Very homophobic cultures. And I overcame that to the point now that it's not only mental, but it's also carnal. And it's important for us to get there. So what I tell a lot of my white brothers and sisters is something that is quite easy to understand. And that is instead of telling people, when you hear black folk talk about, we're always talking about race, why don't you forget about it and somehow it's going to go away? Try to understand the space in which they live in and what they feel every time they go into the space and why they feel what they feel when they go into that space. All right, Daniel Edo says, straight from the website, white culture is a tool of white supremacy. He believes your culture is racist. He believes if you're white in America, you're necessary racist. Who is judging other on immutable characteristics? Hmm. Hey, you know what, Daniel? That sounds just like out of the book. You were really trained well. You even have the wordiology correct. You even said the words in the right order, Daniel. That's just how... The white supremacists printed it. I'm not calling you one. I'm saying that's in your book. That is their pushback to people trying to move forward. ABQ says wage slavery. Yep, so many people working for less than a living without benefits, and we need workers movement in this country. Of course. Question to the people here also listening to Egberto. Do y'all support Marxism as well, or are you also Marxist? Man, that word, you're really into that word, Daniel. Come on, man, get off of it. We just want what's good for everybody. Maywood says, went to dentist early this morning and got my teeth adjusted. Think they may work better and move comfortably. Well, that's right, my brother. Daniel Ledo, I'm a white anti-racist is what AVQ says. 
AVQ, you use the magical word, and I, based on everything you put on our board, and everything you write about and you promote, you, you, you man, you, you are in our, you are in our A team, brother. Our nation has yet to properly address systemic racism or policing in economics, in environmental justice, etc., etc., etc. AVQ, now you see why you always have special mention on this show. Lee Grant, I worry about the racial. Is essentialism this view brings. It starts early in nursery school. Everyone will know what each other's race is and how important that is. They don't have to go at nursery school. You know that, that, that experiment that they put black kids with white dolls, black dolls, etc., and they ask them which one they think is bad, ugly, etc., etc., etc. Remember, I want you to all ask a question. What defines ugly? What defines good or bad? What defines it? In other words, why is a big nose to some ugly, but a big nose to others beautiful? A thin nose to some ugly, thin nose to others, because those things are subjective. But when you are conditioned, when you are programmed, you start to equalize or, or move people into a position of what they think, right? Those kids watch TV, they watch commercials, they go to the stores with their parents, they see all these cues that are internalized. And after seeing those cues, they don't know how to express it in English. But they know a darker hue creates problems in our current society. These experiments are experiments in all the time. So to say, let's just forget it exists, is one thing. I think generations down the line, we won't have to talk about it. But the transition can only occur if you talk about it. I hope you get that one, Brother Grant. Mike Cisak, uh, a vast between... Uh, all right, I won't repeat Mike Cisak. Okay, let's see. When Norman Reynolds, when you refuse to see history and current events from time to time through the racial lens, you choose to be ignorant of a driving force in our historical past and the consequences of the past. Exactly. Norman, A+. Plus. It's, it's like saying, I pick, uh, look, it's like saying, I pick your pocket and took all your fortune. And then I wonder, why are you poor? And then I start to help you and give you some of what you, what, what I stole from you back. But I still think, why are you complaining about I'm helping you? Look, Norman, you hit the uh, money on the head. The, the, the accumulative wealth of those who were not oppressed compared to those who were oppressed is not a thing of fiction. It's a reality. Thank you for bringing that statement up, Brother Norman. Uh, let's see. Lee Grant says, I worry about the... Uh, I read that one already. Com coming down. Uh, let's see what else I have here. Essentially, don't treat people like people. Ooh, what's that, AVQ? I, I think that was the answer that I missed. I'll have to find this show in FB so I can laugh at you and your crazy ideas. May would leave him alone, May. Tom C. says, I'm a groucher Marxist, but some things Karl Marx said make sense, such as capitalism is reckless of the health or length of life of the laborer, unless under compulsion from society. And you know what is so fun funny about what you just said, Tom? We don't like to admit it, right? But when that under that capitalism only works well under compulsion from society. In other words, it would only do that which doesn't make 
inordinate profits if society forces it to do that. And guess what that's called? Democratic socialism. And, and that is an interesting thing that people don't realize. Every time, the reason we have to have Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and all these things is to fight that which, social, that which capitalism eats. And when we understand that, we don't get fearful of the terminologies when a Daniel Ledo comes in and he tries to scare you. Socialism! Marxism! It's going to be the Soviet Union where the state is going to beat you up. No, the state is you. We the people. And we only make it not we the people if we follow the fascist narrative, which is what the right promotes. It's that simple. All right, is there a way to like comments in YouTube? I don't think there's a way to like comments in YouTube. Uh, let's see. Continuing, let's see what I got here. Egberto, you're going to have a lot of commentary to read out. Best of luck through all of it. Yeah, I know, brother. I know. Lee Grant, when racism goes away, leftists and progressives will have little to talk about. No, uh, Lee. Lee, come to me, Lee. Come to me, brother. Come to me. And by the way, continue to support us, brother, like that. But come to me, Lee. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Progressives, it's which one comes first, the egg or the chicken? Progressives speak a lot about racism because it's part of the equation for equity. Okay? That's why. Only reason why. And I've already, I'm not copping to progressives are such great anti-racists because they're not. There is no, and I want everybody to hear me good, including some that's going to take offense to this. Right-wing ideologues are no more or no less racist than left-wing ideologues, okay? People are people. They have the same things. Here's the difference in ideology, however. Progressives mean, I want to, I want to improve. I want to progress. I want to move forward. I want to leave the errors of my way. I'm a progressive not because I am error-free. I am a progressive because I want, for the faults that I have, I want to change. I don't want to hammer down on them. I don't want to lie to people and say America is simply the best and pat myself on the back when I know there are drones killing people, when I know that we're abusing Peru and, and dumping, having, allowing our oil companies to pollute their resources. I don't want, I want to say we've made these mistakes and now we're going to atone for them. None of us are innocent. No, I mean, not, not even all, not even the oppressed, those who have been the most oppressed, are innocent or, ab, ab, or absent of being able to be oppressors themselves. So this is not about perfection. This is about direction. Okay, para ver quién más tengo aquí. Uh, we have moved swiftly on to the book burning portion of the proceedings. That sounds like you, ABQ. What's going on, brother? Republicans are running through the fascist playbook so quickly it's hard to keep up. And that is what's going to make it burn out. Um, remember, uh, things, remember how viruses die. Remember how some of the plague and these items die. It kills so quickly that it burns itself out. If you, you can have a disease that is slow burning, a virus that is slow burning, it just goes through you and you live a long time sick and then die. Those types of viruses tend to last a long time. Those pandemics tend to last a long time. 
However, if you're in a pandemic that you get it, it kills you, and you die, in as much as it's the most fatal of them all, it's the best because it burns itself out. Because the burn rate is faster than the transmission rate. That applies to medicine, it applies to physics, it applies to all these different forms of science. Peggy Lopez says, Hi all from the warm days. Snow piling up on the mountains around me here in California. You know what? We need those snow packs to fill back up that Colorado basin, folks. So let's, let's, help, let's help Peggy uh, Lopez plead for more snowpack. Daniel Ado, well, I'm not going to read that one, but maybe we'll say, yes, warm here in SoCal as well. Uh, ABQ, our nation, man, you guys are writing a lot. Our nation has been, I'm going to miss the next video, but you guys rule. Our nation has yet to properly address systemic racism in policing and economics in an environment you are correct. Egberto, I have a mildly negative reaction to any public displays of affection. I simply turn away, not my business. Exactly. No, but what I'm saying is, you're, I, I'm not talking about that shy kind of a way when you see either a woman and a man kiss or a man and a man. Or, I'm talking about if I saw a woman and a man kiss, it was like nothing. Or, but if I saw two men kiss, if I saw two women kiss, ironically, you know, the, the male mind, how that goes. But when I saw two men kiss or whatever, it used to drive me crazy because I was a homophobe. That is completely fixed on me now. And it's not only fixed mentally, it is now fixed carnally. In other words, it doesn't, it, I don't get that visceral reaction that I used to get before. Petition Queen, also known as Linda. What is Marxism to Daniel? How do you define it? Daniel could not define Marxism except under what the right wing tells him to define it as. Egberto, everyone do judge others they don't know. By now, uh, let's say, by how a person looks, dresses, but most conservatives will not judge people's character until they see how the person acts. And I can tell you, living in con a conservative state, in a conservative, not living in a, in, a, in a state that is more progressive than conservative, but that the progressives don't vote, but living in a very conservative area. I can tell you, Mike Cisak, that that statement is completely and entirely false. Daniel Ledo says, notice how he just attacks me instead of addressing my point. I think I've addressed your point over and over again, Daniel. If, if there's something that I miss, forgive me. Maybe, maybe I'm mentally unstable like you told me I was before, right? Mike Cisak, Egberto, like how MLK said, he hopes his kids are judged by their character Instead of their skin color, conservatives do this while leftists don't. And that's not true. If you look at the, all the propaganda that the right is putting out right now to really fool people into believing CRT is taught in school, they are trying to rile up the race, your racist, your personal carnal racism, your carnal fear. That's the modus operandi of Republicans at this point. Petition Queen says, how do... You, Mike Cisak, know what you are claiming about most conservatives. You mean most conservatives you know, or are you citing a poll? Mike Cisak says, or rather, ABQ says, Mike Cisak, let's, ex let's, let's examine an example. How often would you see someone wearing pants with boxers showing? Do you judge them? I know conservatives who do. Nanette Bird-Smith says, Mike Cisak, I have never heard a more comical statement. Egberto from ABQ, Egberto. If you see a comment that says 200 character limits, that's a repeat of the end of Twitch comment that went too long for the restream bot. Oh, I didn't know that. 
The closer all variations of human beings come mathematically equal, the harder it is and will become for the white mathematical majority to accept any form of equality. That is what we're seeing right now, Peggy. And that's a prescient statement of yours, my dear lady. Uh, Petition Queen says, What if it's a case that socialism has been propping up capitalism? When socialism failed, and it has in the world, what happened to capitalism? Let me put a corollary onto that, Petition Queen. Uh, socialism was never allowed. And I'm not talking about the socialism that, that people preach about. Because what people preach about socialism is a, is a type of communism that, that was attempted in uh, Russia, which is nothing more than pseudo-fascism, right? Uh, socialism, the word itself says it all. Social security and all these other things. Freedom is what it talks about. It talks about not... Ha- I mean, capitalism is not dependent on democracy, right? First of all, a corporation is not democratically run. A corporation is run solely by those who invest capital in it, uh, as opposed to a government, social government, where all of us have equal access to success and equal access to define how we are going to live. Now, we have, in America, what we had to do is we had to demonize everything with the word social in it, because we understood that if people understood the draconian nature of unfettered capitalism, they would never go for it. They don't see it as the, the extension of slavery. They don't see it that way because it has been made antiseptic. And I've gone over that in many details many a times. If you take a look at slavery, the slave owner had to clothe you because you were property and he didn't want you sick. He had to feed you because you were property that he wanted work out of. And he had to turn the food energy into the plantation energy to uh, do the crop, etc. Uh, he had to give you medical care because if his machine broke down, he had to fix it so that machine can continue to make him money. So slavery was a very expensive proposition for the master. And yeah, he whipped his slave and all of that just when that slave reached that point that it was no longer profitable for him with a slave of that nature. Capitalism up the ante. I'm not talking about the executives in capitalism or the tier one people in capitalism that are the managers and the, the executives and the shareholders. I'm talking about the average worker. The average worker, that, that guy says, you know, come and work for me. I'll pay you an agreed-upon salary. Remember, uh, that master had to pay a lot for health care, clothing, food, and make sure you stay alive. In capitalism, you say, I'll work for this, and if I cannot work, go home. If I cannot get health insurance, die. Go home. I have no responsibility toward that working unit. That that unit that provides me work, I have no accountability to it. Now, early on, early in the, ninth, in the 20th century, they made deals with unions and so forth to tie things like health care to your job. But they even turned t- tying health care into job into a liability. Because now, because health care was attached to the job, you stayed longer with the job that you wanted to, and it's even get worse 
because insurance companies now had the ability to say, and if you get sick under insurance and you move job, you no longer had to be covered. You know, we are good at narratives and we are good at telling the stories in such a manner that people just accept it based on the indoctrination they receive. But when you break it down and analyze it and see reality, suddenly it becomes a bit differently. The state beats us up today through low wages, no universal health care, workers paying taxes, and corporations causing bad air quality. Exactly. And it's not the state causing that. It's the, perch, it's the corporate purchase of politicians. That is why we need a grassroots movement, Peggy Lopez. Nanette Bird-Smith. Uh, let's see what else I have here. We're running close on time, so I have to be careful here. Egberto, I had all I can stomach from these so-called conservatives today. They have overrun your show. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, Nanette. Don't, don't do that, Nanette, my dear beautiful lady. That is, that is the idea behind the conservative methodology. Beat you down till you just throw your hands up and don't vote, and then they control everything. That is what you do. We always have to stay in the game and then convert some of them, and we'll convert quite a few of them, to tell you the truth. Rose Williams, trying to create an equitable society and uniform society. Neighborhood in Queens growing up was very diverse. We loved it. You, you, you get the point, Rose. But then again, I know you. That's who you are. Uh, Masticator, wow, those guys even realize his twisted racism. Where Lee Grant probes always at war with history. No, we're not. We just tell history the truthful history. Uh, Maywood, thank you. I was wondering if they could see my replies. Egberto, the idea for profit healthcare is solely an American concept. Nearly early other, nearly every other major socialized health because it makes sense. It's it's a humane thing to do. Uh, Petition Queen says, socialism as opposed to social democracy failed and on its heels witnessed the implosion of capitalism. Both grew out of a past era. The better forms of both have to work things out in a fair debate. Tom C. Socialism is not the same as Marxism. Democratic socialism is highly successful in Scandinavian countries. Exactly. Nordic model combines a market economy and economic efficiency. And I want a market economy. Now, economic efficiency, however, is not relegated to the private sector. Let's look at what's happening today. The inflation today is, not, is caused by the private sector. The just-in-time inventory that is now screwing us all was created by the private sector. Efficiency is not relegated solely to the private sector. It's relegated to those who are leading, whether it's the private sector or the public sector. So I, I, we, need to, we need to decouple efficiency and private sector. Efficiency is whoever is doing the job correctly and efficiently. Uh, let's see. Um, ABK said, no, nearly about it. It's USA is the only country that does not have universal single... You corrected me. You corrected me. I said nearly. The only. You're correct on that point. Look, we're getting close to the end of the program. And you know what I didn't do at all today? I didn't ask anybody to support the show, so I'm going to do that now. So I want to ask you guys to please, if you are on YouTube, click that join button and please become a part of our PDR Posse. Become a part of the PDR Posse by clicking that join button. If you are on YouTube, I mean, if you are in some other network, please go to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. And I'm going to see if I can get to the donation links. I'm on a different computer for these links because 
whenever I, I found what the issue was, but I don't understand it. Whenever we have Chrome working in concert with the broadcast software, the CPU usage goes ridiculously high. And then we start to get drop packets and so forth. So what I want to ask is, please visit us at politicsandright.com slash support. Politicsdoneright.com. Let's see if I can get that in there. Looks like I'm on the wrong keyboard. You know, when you have all these different technical problems. All right. There we go. I want to say copy that. And we'll go ahead and say go to politicsandright.com slash support. Politicsandright.com slash support. To get our books, please, please uh, support the books. You'll learn quite a bit. Go to politicsandright.com slash books. To go ahead and get uh, our hoodies and stuff at our store, go to politicsandright.com slash store. You can also visit us at PayPal and Patreon. That is politicsandright.com slash PayPal and politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Look, we are getting near the end. Well, we are at the end of the show. It's actually at 4 or 5 o'clock here in the East, 4 o'clock Central. And of course, it is 2 o'clock in the West. Mountain time? Okay, I have to remember that. It's 3 o'clock Mountain time. We are in all times. I have people from every single time zone in here. I want to thank you guys for being here. I could not do this without you. You are the essence of politics done right. Uh, please remember to share. I don't want to be just talking to the choir. We're not. We have Daniel Ledo, Mike Cisak, Lee, Lee Grant, and several others in the room that are conservative. I, and they're here all the time. I thank you guys for being here. Stick around. Maybe something will, will you know, and, 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 and not all, only that, bring the fight. Bring the fight. That's what we want. Bring the fight. Anyway, we got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.